on today's episode, we talk about Pamela Fodril and Joseph Fritzl. You're listening to Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks. People put it down, but what you're supposed to do in a small town. Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks. Lord, have mercy, can't help being bad in the Boondocks. Hey, and welcome to Bat in the Boondocks. As always, I am one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. How's it going? Going pretty good, pretty good. Hope you're doing very well this week. I have, have you? I'm at just as good as I can be. Might as well say good, because nobody really cares about your problems. Sure. Well... I was. I hope that all of you guys are are all right this or, week. I hope y'all are excellent. You must be doing pretty well if you're coming in and listening to us. So, or you could be really down and you just need a <sighs> that's true. a pick me up and a kick me down. Okay, well, um, go check out our Instagram, please, and Facebook. I've really got to post some stuff on there again. I I get behind on it like. Wait no, I no we didn't. You you created that little video. Yeah, I did. Okay, you got. I, I did that, but you didn't. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Well, you made the little video, so then I didn't post anything on it. Yeah, but you should be posting just talking to people. What are you talking about? You know, just start a conversation. I am. I'm. I'm not gonna start start it, but I mean, if oh. they if they message like us, then how long? How many times does that happen? Not, uh, quite that, a few. Not that often. Quite a few. You know what, people? <laughs> quite a few. Anyways, do you want me to just go on and get into the story, or you got something else to say? Remember, share us. God, you tell sound, a friend. You sound so boring. Remember, share, share us. Tell us. a friend. <laughs> just get us out there. Come Please. on, people. Or either just listen to us a couple of thousand times. If each of y'all would listen to us a thousand times each, that'd be awesome. That would be phenomenal. That would be a great thing. But if you don't have that much time on your hands, then tell a friend and post us on your socials and all kind of mess like that. Yeah. Rate and review us. Exactly. Well... I reckon I'm just going to go on and dive into it, and you are free to talk whenever this time. Oh, okay. Also on Facebook, I'm going to start posting who is the best fan every week. So whoever gives the most interactions on Facebook, they're going to be number one fan of the week. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, Don't let it be can't, me. You can't, really, you can't really do that on Instagram because... I think you actually can. You can? Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah, but on Instagram you just go by likes. Okay. Right. Well it's how many people interact with you. No, how many people interact with you. Okay. Well I'm gonna be talking about Pamela You're being an asshole. I'm not. I'm gonna be talking about Pamela Fodril. 
60 miles southwest of Bloomington, Indiana, is Carmichael Cemetery, a quiet country cemetery just off I-69 in Center Township. You said 69. Wow. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say is wow. Okay, whatever, I-69. Who are you 69? (laughs) You don't worry about it. Is this that why you have all those bumps around your mouth? <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> Bro, go on somewhere. <laughs> the cemetery is named after Alexander Carmichael, who purchased the land from the government in 1829. At Carmichael Cemetery sits a headstone with only the death year of the deceased, no month and day. Buried in that plot is Pamela Fodril. Pamela was murdered... And nobody knows exactly when. Wow. I mean, they can't even give, like, a couple of date mm. span? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Well, I'm going to need to know more. Okay. Okay. Give it to me. Pamela Ray Fodril was born on March 10th, 1951, to Dale and Irene Fodril. She was one of seven children, and the family res- resided in Greene County, Indiana. Dale Fodril passed away on November 26, 1980, at the age of 68. Pamela was intellectually disabled. She had the mentality of a seven-year-old child and the appearance of a teenager. She stood only five feet tall and weighed 100 pounds. And how old was she again? Shut up. A teenager. Oh, you didn't give me a specific number. I would say around 15 or 16. Oh, it doesn't tell you? Based on this picture, I would say she's about 16. Okay. Okay. Um, in 1995, she resided with her mother, Irene, in Linton, Indiana. On August 18th, Pamela left home and walked two and a half blocks to a local IGA grocery store where she purchased some instant breakfast mixed. It was only her third time going there alone. She walked out of the grocery store and disappeared into thin air. The trip to the store should have only taken Pamela about 20 minutes, and when she hadn't returned home after that time period, Irene began looking for her. When she couldn't find her, She called police, and soon after, the search and investigation began. Investigators learned Pamela was last seen around 11 a.m. at a stoplight in Linton, which is where the search dogs last picked up her scent. State police and a county rescue team searched all over Greene County for Pamela, but they never found her. Family members placed posters with her picture around the area and offered a guess how much? How much? You ain't even paying attention $1, to me. $1,000. You are sitting there okay, on the. Your... Okay, I've, I've heard every word you said. $1,000. Yes, it was $1,000. Oh, wow. $1, am I right? Thank you. Actually, it was $1,000. Yeah, because I know what the hell I'm doing. Sure. Tips started rolling in in October. Um, Irene and two of Pamela's sisters drove to Ter- <laughs> Terry Hot, Hot 
after police received a possible sighting of her walking down Liberty Avenue. That wasn't her. A woman reported seeing someone matching Pamela's description in Bedford, so they drove there, and it wasn't her. The same thing happened in Evansville. The biggest lead at this point seemed promising. A man selling frozen meat door-to-door in nearby Bloomfield, near the time of Pamela's disappearance, was suspected of also being in Linton around the same time. Six days later, police arrested the man in Ohio on rape charges and stabbing a woman there. However, he was not responsible for Pamela's disappearance. On December 3, 1995, two hunters found skeletal remains in a sleeping bag in a wooded area along a county road about 12 to 15 miles northeast of Lawrenceville, Illinois, and 45 miles southwest of Linton, Indiana, near the Wabash River. The remains were later identified as belonging to Pamela Fodril. Police immediately treated the case as a homicide. They did not mention the cause of death, but did tell the Fodril family that Pamela died from trauma to the head and neck. Months went by, still no answers on who killed Pamela. Darla Milflin, the victim's sister, said, Pam never had any boyfriends. She wasn't interested. The family was her life. She was mature in many ways, Although she had trouble with math and reading, she had good common sense. More than two years after Pamela Fodril's disappearance, police arrested 45-year-old Roger Leon Long in October 1997 for Pamela's murder after two inmates informed police that he had confessed to killing Pamela. Well, at that time, Long was in Lawrence was in um, yeah, Lawrence County Jail on a parole violation. Through the ongoing investigation, police eventually arrested John Redman, 41, Jerry E. Russell, Sr., um, 36, and Wanda Sue Hubble, also 36. Hubble told police the group saw Pamela walking and convinced her to get into their vehicle. They took her to Redman's house which was not far from Pamela's home. There, all four of them sexually assaulted Pamela over a week. When they finally had their field, the foursome attacked and killed Pamela. Um, According to Indiana law, killing Pamela during a rape or criminal deviant conduct qualified the deviants for the death penalty. However, prosecution did not seek the death penalty due to lack of funds. Long's trial occurred in the fall of 1998 and lasted until nearly in until early 1999. Hubble testified for the prosecution as a star witness. She pleaded guilty to criminal deviant conduct in exchange for her testimony and was sentenced to 20 years. Testimony during Long's trial described how he Hubble John Redman Jerry Russell Singer lured Pamela into a van as she walked home from the grocery store on August 18, 1995. 
For a week, they held her captive in Redmond's home. The 100-pound woman, according to testimony, was sexually abused, at times violated with a baseball bat. No. Then she was stabbed to death. The group also burned... And she was tiny. Yeah. I'm very tiny, 100 pounds. The group also burned, mutilated, and tortured her while she was still alive. Witnesses also testified that Long stored Pamela's body in a storage shed for a week before disposing of it near Lawrenceville, Illinois. In April of that year, a jury found Long guilty of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, criminal deviant conduct, and criminal confinement in the murder of Pamela Ray Fodrill. In May 1999, a judge sentenced Long to life in prison with no parole. Shortly after, Redmond and Russell's trials began, and both of them were found guilty of the same charges as Long and also given life terms with no parole. Both Long and Russell appealed their sentences in 2001, but they were denied. On September 20, 2019, local media reported that Russell may get a re-sentence um, his defense now claims he was wrongfully accused and wasn't present the day Pam was abducted. And that trial was a bust. You know, he was found guilty of the same charges. So. So was he sentenced the same? Yes. Okay. And that's the story. I just can't get over a baseball bat, and she was so tiny. I know, a baseball bat. She was only 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, burns and stuff. I guess that would be with, like, a cigarette or maybe, or maybe, like, a lighter, just... Either way. Or something I sitting mean, on her skin, probably. I'm going to just tell you that burning, because I've gotten burned. That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. That's a horrible pain. Well, that's my story. That was in pick me up or not yeah not at all kind of very enlightening uh, i guess very very (laughs) well that's not the word very informing yes i'd say information interesting informationative Mm. there we go that's that's what i'm looking for so what's yours gonna be about joseph fritzel You ready for me to do it? I don't know. Or you want a break? Go ahead. Let's go. The 17-year-old opened her eyes in the pitch black. Her head was spinning like the wheels on the bus. She had hopped to Vienna some time ago. Pain coursed through every vein, muscle, and neuron as she attempted to steady herself and get off the cold concrete floor. Its grit was soiling her beautiful rust-colored hair. She could not see in the dark, humid cellar. When she blindly tried to get up, she was yanked back down with a tremendous force and the clank of chains attached to a metal loop in the floor. The dripping of water in another room and the scurry of rats and brooches somewhere else. The cellar's lock slowly started to turn. The sound of heavy steps on the creaking wooden stairs 
than a flashlight beam blinding her, causing her adrenaline to pump a hundred freaking miles an hour, not knowing exactly what to expect. Little did Elizabeth know what happened next, but the start of her almost quarter-century personal hell at the hands of the man that she hated most in the whole world, her own father, the monster of Amsterdam, Joseph Fritzl. Joseph Fritzl was born in 1935 in a small city of Amstetten in Lower Austria. His mother, Maria, was the illegitimate child of a miller and Fritzl's grandmother, who was sterile. The miller began many sexual liaisons with the maids in their home for the express purpose of having children, since his wife couldn't. Maria was one of these, so she was technically an illegitimate child herself. Maria met a penniless drifter in 1934 named Joseph Fritzl and had the Joseph Fritzl, who is the subject of this profile, who is Joseph Fritzl Jr. They lived at 40 YBB in Amstetten at this time, about 90 miles from where Hitler was born. And let's go forward to March of 1938 when the Nazis annexed Austria. This would bring a lot of trouble for the Fritzels, and not just for Joseph Sr., who was fighting on the Eastern Front during the war, and who at any rate was booted by Maria from their house at the war's beginning in 1939. Joseph Jr. saw Hitler on March 7th of 38 and would go on to blame him and Nazism for his deranged behavior towards his daughter. He looks kind of like a cracked out Hitler. Joseph Sr. would come back after being a POW in a Soviet gulag until 1948, but upon returning to Amstetten, he was essentially shunned by his wife and son as a gutless and shameful man. <laughs> oh, he looks a damn mess. I, I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> Fritzl's hatred of his father would simmer below the surface for the rest of his life. Maria his mother was rather off balance before war war two with many who knew her saying that she wanted a child but not the responsibilities of having a child she would often beat berate and neglect her son her temper got her arrested by the third wreck in austria in 1945 and sent to a concentration camp where she was freed after the war by the allies Fritzl was essentially left alone for this huge stretch of time. It was, he was about 10 years old. But it is very important because this would become very relevant later in the story. But Fritzl ended up in an orphanage. And there he was told that his mother was dead. And after this brief episode alone when Maria got him back after the war. The abuse did not stop, though. It only got more intense after she got out of the concentration camp. Fritzl stood up to her when he was 15 years old. 
but it was at age 15 that Fritzl also began developing a few little deviant sexual habits. He began with voyeurism and wandering around his corner of Amsterdam, listening for the noises of young couples having sex. What a creep. <laughs> Fritzl would ultimately lock the bedridden <clears throat> Maria up in her own attic with the windows bricked up, and she ultimately died there in 1980. Oh, my. Are you serious? I'm serious. Are, are you serious? Are you I am serious. Are you serious? I'm serious. The motivation, Fritzl said in an interview with a forensic psychiatrist, was simple. Revenge for all that she had done to him. But the voyeurism would escalate, as it usually does, from nuisance-type of behavior to a more serious one, like exposing himself to young women and getting violent with the prostitutes in the red light district. In 1951, at the age of 16, Fritzl headed to Linz and began his studies and on the job learning to become an engineer. Engineers were in very high demand after the war, of course, because so much stuff had to be rebuilt. Yeah. Five years later, he would meet his wife, 17-year-old Rosemary Byers. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Dude, the top fell down. Yeah, my top fell. <laughs> so sorry about that, y'all. That was a sound effect. Your top fell. Your pop fell. Yeah, I actually got a little bit pushed down. But. Well, kind of, because I'm trying to make this where it kind of blocks out your voice because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Fritzl told his friends that he was very impressed by Rosemary and that she would make an exceptional housewife because she showed incredible obedience. Indeed, obedience is a quality rather prized by many in the German-speaking world. But Fritzl took it to pathological levels. In by 1963, Joseph and Rosemarie were married with three children, two daughters and one son. That year, he was sent by his employer on what turned out to be a two-year business trip to Ghana. Mm. He didn't return until 1965. And he would divorce Rosemary in 2012 for failing to see him in prison. Upon coming back to Linz and Amsterdam, Fritzl's authoritarianism oh shoot yeah that's how you say authoritarianism over his family hit a new fever pitch likely as a reaction to his children growing and fritzel having to manage the resultant stress on april 8th of 1966 his fourth child elizabeth is born the birth of elizabeth only added more stress to fritzel's life so he reverted to his old predatory sexual habits which were dormant when he was overseas likely because he had intense direction for his work and didn't have the time to do anything fritzel would escape to Linz, where he worked to get away from the small town scrutiny of Amsterdam. no one in Linz would question him or view him with suspicion he didn't have to worry there about anything getting back to his wife's ears or the prying eyes of law enforcement. 
Fritzl was still escalating in Linz in 1967 when he followed a mother home from the grocery store and raped her at knife point in her bed while her infant child slept in a cot next to it. Good God. A court gave him a whole 18 months in prison for the crime. Mm. Another bonus Fritzl got, besides, you know, the huge sentence, was the Austrian justice system effectively expunged his rape conviction from his record after 10 years. Oh, my God. It was usually done, though, with most all crimes, regardless of severity. It was the Fritzl case, and which happened before. So you tell me I, that they can go out and kill somebody, and then it's off their record once they... Usually, yes, but not nowadays, I don't If think. they get out in that time. Yeah. But it was the Fritzl case that would finally get the legislator to change this patently observed law. By the time 1972 came around, the Fritzels had their seventh and last child. So they had a final tally of three girls and four boys. Fritzel's reputation as an engineer and his independent wealth were also growing. Fritzel decided to invest in property by buying guest houses, restaurants, and 40-bedroom, three-story hotel. Fritzl turned a profit for a while, but when things went south, the hotel mysteriously caught fire. Authorities could never prove it was arson to collect the insurance money. But that would make the news again into 2017 when the new owner of one of Fritzl's old properties found a staircase to nowhere and various hidden rooms in the structure. There's nothing definitive linking Fritzl and his property to the 1986 murder of 17-year-old Martina P. That came next, though. Her body was found that year wrapped in plastic and dumped on the beach at nearby Lake Monsey. Martina P. did look astonishingly like Elizabeth Fritzl, and she was her age. But short of a deathbed confession from Joseph Fritzl, probably won't ever know with certainty if he was involved in her death. Fritzl very much exemplified the family man in the minds of people of Amstetten. Kind of like BTK and Ted Bundy and Brady. Yeah. Six years later, Fritzl started a massive expansion to the 40 YBB house including a huge labyrinth cellar under the outside rear of the house. Several flats were to be rented out, and they were going to be built on top. Do-it-yourself building came naturally with being an engineer, so no one in Amstetten thought twice about it. Around this time, Fritzl began showing extraordinarily obsessive tendencies around the then 12-year-old Elizabeth. He demanded to know where she was at all times and often spied on her. These behaviors would ultimately escalate just as the ones earlier. In 1981, Elizabeth started a gastronomy and tourism course out of town and begun waiting tables to support herself. 
This only got under her dad's skin and added fuel to the fire of his obsession. It was also the figurative straw that broke that camel's back. Fritzl escalated, starting that year by exposing himself to Elizabeth, leaving pornographic literature under her pillow, and just all around sexually abusing her. Her friends during this time reported an intensely introverted girl at school who they knew liked school better than home, but none ever inquired why that was. In 1983, Fritzl finished the cellar, which he said was to be used for storage and a workshop. Fritzl, be, being the controlling little psychopath that he was, built the space to give him maximal, maximum possible control. It had lighting and many interconnected rooms, and it was quite freaking big, to be honest. That's it. That's really... Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty big. Quite large. In May of 1984, Elizabeth made the mistake of telling her father that she was going to move to Lynn's to live with her sister. Well, this did not go too well with him. It increased his obsession. He would not let it happen. He could not let it happen. He would not be left alone again by the woman who got the entirety of his psychosexual mental energy. Not after what his mother did by leaving him alone so many years earlier. Fritzl would later admit to the psychiatrist from prison that he often fantasized about sexual intercourse and domination of his mother. That's, well, that's messed up. <laughs> so, yes. Arguably a replaying of the abuse and being left alone for months during the war. All was all woo-boo-hoo-hoo screwing with his mind. Yeah. He had to do something, though. So on August 28th of 1984, Fritzl called Elizabeth to the garage with the request of helping him lift a door. After that was done, he asked her to join him in his study for a private talk. Oh, my God. She did. And when her back was to him, he knocked her out with an ether-soaked rag to her face. No what? An ether-soaked rag. Chemical ether. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Then he carried her into the cellar, handcuffed her, and chained her to a ring in the floor. Elizabeth had no way of knowing she would be in that dank human, bug, and rodent-infested place. <laughs> that dank. <laughs> with just a bed, toilet, and TV for over two decades. Two freaking decades? Yes, over 20 years. Oh, my God. Gritzel made her write a letter to the family saying that she was going to run away and join a satanic cult. Then he drove over 100 miles to post the letter. Elizabeth would be raped an estimated 3,000 times by her father over 24 years in that cellar. Dang. Well, with all of that, it was impossible to avoid pregnancy. Her first was a miscarriage. Her first live birth was in 1988. It was a girl named Kirsten. From here on out, 
when the birth would occur, her father gave her a book on childbirth, a rag, a pair of scissors, and a few wet wipes. You've got to be joking. Nope. She gave birth a total of seven times while being totally alone oh in the cellar. How do you do that? Do you know how excruciating that oh, would be? You're not on any... Well, you can't. I don't think you can take any. Yes, you can. They, yeah, they, yeah, you they can. They give you but, some. Yeah, but she's alone. And, you know, all those 24 years, there was never any sunlight in there. Dude, do you know how bad that's going to be walking out of there first off? I know. That's going to be terrible just walking out. But then you have to think now there's children down there, too. Jesus. Elizabeth's second child, Stefan, was born in 1990. He would go on to have horrible back pain and misalignment because he was five foot eight inches and had to always lean down because the cellar was too short for him to stand up straight. So he was too tall for this. Yes, he was too tall, yes. Well, then I would hate for it to see how you were if you were like six foot. I know. Yeah, but like, so he stood up. So how much was he standing up? Oh, well, he was in there for a while. Yeah. In August of 1992, her third child, Lisa, was born with a heart defect. Mm. Fritzl didn't want to take the gamble of his upstairs family hearing a constantly crying baby coming from downstairs because so far they hadn't even noticed the thing. They wouldn't notice anything until 2008. Wow. So Fritzl took Lisa and put her in a basket and literally left her on the doorsteps of their house with a phony note from Elizabeth. The infant got emergency surgery and by all accounts lived a somewhat normal life with the upst- with the regular family upstairs. Oh my God. Well, that is lucky for her. That is. Yeah. But how, can, how normal, you know, could it be if you find out? I mean, yeah, but it's more normal than living in a cellar for 20-something years. Yes, and that cellar, speaking of, was getting cramped by now. So Fritzl opened up more space among the rooms and brought in things like a refrigerator, Hmm. which he would keep stocked, toys that the children liked, even a pet goldfish and a canary. Yeah, but why not bring some type of light, you know? So he tried to normalize. Well, it had lights. Oh. Yeah, it had lights. It's not sunlight. Elizabeth attempted her own normalcy for her kids as well. She would get them up at the same time every day and cook them breakfast in the tiny kitchen and even taught them how to read. Well, at least she's trying to make... I don't see how she's making the best of it, but... Nope. Guess but it's all that, this time, her daddy was still abusing and raping her. I guess it's that mother willpower or something. I don't know. December 16th, 1994, she had her baby, Monica. She was taken upstairs just like Lisa was. Throughout all of this, Fritzl was getting financial assistance from Austrian social services because they never thought to probe any deeper as the rape conviction was no longer on the record. Yeah. In April of 1996, Elizabeth gave birth to twins, Michael and Alexander. 
Michael had horrible breathing problems, so Fretzel allowed the infant to die mm. and hurled his corpse into his house's furnace. Wow. Alexander was taken upstairs in the manner that the two other sisters were because Fritzl kind of thought it was just too risky to kill him, too. Yeah. Yeah, but how is nobody thinking this suspicious? I, I don't, I'm not quite sure about that. You got another child. Yeah. Around this time, Fritzl started going on a lot of business trips for weeks at a time. He would leave plenty of food and water and vitamin supplements for his, quote, downstairs family when he would be gone. In 2002, Elizabeth gave birth to her seventh and last child by her father, a boy named Felix. That's why they had so many problems. Yes, probably, I'm thinking. I'm at Scott. Number seven effectively made his downstairs family a grotesque mirrored image of his upstairs family. Remember, they had seven children. It's yeah. as if the upstairs family just weren't enough, and he was a strict, angry man, and so he got mad when they weren't enough, so he controlled and got the same thing a second time around. He always felt that all women should be completely controlled. But Fritz was very fond of Felix. He wanted to get him upstairs and basically integrate both families. So to do that, he started planning to release Elizabeth in 2008. Now, I'm not sure what he thought he was going to do for that, but... Hmm. It was about the time that Felix would need to start school. He believed the gas lighting he did on Elizabeth, you know, telling her that there were gas traps and electrified doors and all that. That's why, I mean, she thought that everything was booby-trapped and she would die if she tried to escape. Yeah, but she might as well. But after about 18 years, 15, 10 years, I think I would just chance it. Exactly. Oh, wait. So but he thought that all of that was going to be enough where she wouldn't tell the police after he released her. And you know, you might would think that if she actually didn't try to escape. Wait, that she wouldn't tell the police that... He, he had trapped her for 24 years and raped her all that time. I know, but um, after she rele- after he released her, why mm. wouldn't she go to the police? I don't understand why. why. What would the gas traps and the door and stuff have anything to do with it? Well, he thought that because of him lying to her about that and she listened, that she would still be scared. Oh, okay, okay. But guess what? Before Fritzl could do this, 19-year-old Kirsten became deathly ill and almost comatose. All they had in the cellar to treat her was aspirin. So Elizabeth begged her father to get medical help for her. Now, this is one of her children. The One of her children is 19 years old down there. Oh, my God. She stood steadfast, and she refused to go on herself if Fritzl lets Kirsten die. So he took her to the hospital. The doctors were kind of confounded by Kirsten's um, symptoms, 
which was actually a severe vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, in which, in, in case, if he was eating like a child supposed to. Yeah, you see, Kirsten had lost most of her teeth, and she had developed a habit of tearing her hair out in clumps. And she would shred her dresses and stuff them down the toilet. Fritzel introduced himself as Kirsten's grandfather, yet the doctors kept asking him to get the mother in there. Exactly. So that they could take a more thorough history and get a handle on what was happening. The police searched for her, and after about a week, put out a televised appeal for Elizabeth to come home. The plan was to charge her for severe neglect. Elizabeth ended up seeing the televised appeal on her tiny TV in the cellar. Oh, wow. And when her dad came back, she said to him that he had to take her in there or she was going to kill herself. So he did. And upon getting to the hospital, the police immediately arrested and began interrogating Elizabeth. Oh, my God. That must have been terrible. And it was only when they threatened to take her children away that she finally told them what her father had done to her for 24 years. Jesus. They immediately arrested Joseph and freed the other children in the cellar. Fritzel initially pled not guilty to crimes including rape, false imprisonment, and deprivation of liberty. Elizabeth and the children, meanwhile, they started intense therapy and acclimation to the outside world. Elizabeth also prepared a taped deposition at her father's trial, where no press or members of the public were allowed. As a final surprise, Elizabeth showed up at the trial and confronted the monster. The terror which lorded over literally every aspect of her life for such a long time, when Fritzel saw his daughter, he changed his plea to guilty and wept uncontrollably. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with parole possible after 15 years, which I might just add is less than the time she was kept in prison. Yeah, I would at least make it 24 years. Well, Fritzel is still alive as of now, but he was suffering reportedly from dementia behind prison walls. They And the, Elizabeth and the children, they still have to get intense therapy, and they reportedly suffer very bad anxiety and panic attacks from a door closing or the turning of a lock. Mm. And, of course, and Elizabeth has, she hates her mother, which I think I would, too, because I think the mother would have had to know something. Yeah. The family live, tries to live a normal life because they're at a secret location. It's at, it's actually called Village X. It's like a, it's supported by the Austrian state. Yeah. And so it's like this special little village. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Elizabeth has also found love, reportedly, in the bodyguard that was hired by the government to protect her. <laughs> That's funny. So... I don't think that Joseph Fritzl will have the last word because I think that he'll be rotting in hell. Yeah. 
You know what? What? The last word went to Kirsten, really. When she woke up from her coma, she said, A new life is starting for all of us. Let's be happy. Oh, okay. That's what she said. Remember, she was in a coma from the vitamin D deficiency and stuff. Yeah. That is very, I'm just going to say screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Screwed up. Screwed up. Screwed tied. Dang. We on, we on 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Well. That's, that's been our two stories this week. Both kind of, well, mine was a little uplifting at the end. I meant. Mine wasn't. No, yours wasn't. Mine was. No, yours wasn't. Dead. <laughs> but mine, mine, as happy as you can get out of the situation. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we loved being here telling our stories to you. We hope you enjoyed it. And stay tuned for next week's episode. As always, I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew. We uh, we will talk to you. Talk to you next time. And if you want to talk to us, go on and message us. Message us up. See ya. See ya.